Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Forward Thinking. I have Chrissy and hello, it's Charlie. Charlie, and we have a uh, special guest today. We have Daryl Alfonso, who's the global market operations manager at Amazon, um, specifically AWS, and um, we're excited to have Daryl on because. For some of our listeners, you might actually recognize Daryl's name and seen his content or follow him on LinkedIn or Twitter. And actually, I, I stumbled upon uh, Daryl on Twitter, um, probably like during the summer this year and saw what amazing content he was sharing, especially for marketing ops leaders and practitioners and and also, um, you know, checked out his LinkedIn where he's doing that as well. And so we're super excited to have Daryl on uh, to share his thoughts. And we're going to dive into also how he supports um, a big team at Amazon for um, campaign operations. So I, let's just kick it off, Daryl. Thank you so much for joining. And if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into marketing ops and, and also, you know, how you fell into becoming this like thought leader in the marketing ops world and sharing your ideas on social. Yeah, definitely. And thanks so much for having me, Charlie and Chrissy. I, yeah, as I've told you, I've listened to, I think almost all of your podcast episodes. <laughs> I think that, I think yours is definitely one of the, the best sources of information. I do recommend it to people when they, when they talk to me. So yeah, yeah. Thank you. Appreciate Keep up the that. great work. Um, so my story is, um, you know, I first got introduced to marketing operations when, you know, I had I had this job as a lead generation specialist, whatever that means for marketing, and it was some of the lesser, you know, glamorous stuff of marketing, especially back then when I would do stuff like find lead lists and input business cards and some random stuff. So we needed a Marketo admin because our Marketo admin had left and no one knew what, what they were doing. Right. And I had just, you know, basic access to Marketo. We interviewed, my boss was the VP of marketing. We interviewed tons and tons of candidates and none of them really had the capabilities that we needed to properly run the system. And we, we had this one candidate and I thought that she was just awful. You know, she was really unorganized, um, had just didn't really have clear thinking, didn't present herself well, but she did know Marketo. And after the interview, my boss was like, I really need, I think we really need to want to hire this person. Let's bring this person on. You know, um, it doesn't matter that she's not that great. And, and for me, I was just so shocked and I, it just kind of opened my eyes. Not everyone's like that, but it kind of opened my eyes as to the value of having really specialized skills um, and especially really specialized technical skills. Mm -hmm. And I, at that point I decided, okay, you know, if I can get a great high paying job managing Marketo, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. So, you know, on the nights and weekends, I would study. I had access to Marketo. I wasn't the admin, but it gave you access to the community and the learning resources. I eventually got certified and then left that company and became the Marketo admin of, of another, you know, fairly large mid-sized organization. And that was kind of the start of, of my journey. Um, so that's how I got into it. I really just 
recognize the value of having an in-demand skill and I kind of went all in on it. Was there anything that like kind of appealed to you as far as like, you know, or, or even scared you about embarking on kind of like teaching yourself? Because I think for Charlie and I, we both, you know, had that experience. I think even my background working at Marketo, people thought, oh, well, you just automatically just learned Marketo. It's like, well, no, we worked at a startup. We had a small team. Everyone was busy. I had to use the university and community on my weekends, like everyone else. And I think people mm-hmm. are kind of shocked by that. But was there anything that like, you know, based on your background or, or schooling or, you know, anything that um, marketing automation really appealed to you? Maybe like how you thought about things. You like that technical side. Um, what about it kind of appealed to you besides just that valuable skill? Is there anything else? You know, I think, and, and I think this topic is about marketing operations in general. I think what appeals to me is the tactical side of it mm-hmm. and the practice of actually doing stuff. And this is something that I think about a lot. I think that having ideas and sort of changing your strategy is actually not that hard. What mm-hmm. is hard is operationalizing it. And for me, I've always been a really grounded person and I've always wanted to know, okay, but how are we gonna do it? And that is really what marketing operations is all about. It's all about taking a vision and then executing it. And it's, it's so, you know, for people like me, it's so cool. Um, so that's what I really liked about it. I think that, you know, for me, just being an optimist and sort of a little bit fearless. And um, I didn't know a lot of things. Like after I got certified, I thought I was, you know, the best and <laughs> I could handle anything. And then the first project that I was put on at the, at, when I was Marketo admin was a migration. You know, we had multiple business units. I'd never done that before. And I had to do it on my own. And I think that maybe a month in did I realize how over my head I was. Um, in over my head I was. Um, but, you know, and, and that's when I learned about the community um, because that's who I started to lean on. And, and I met really smart people, started to engage with people throughout, uh, it's like the marketing nation online. Um, and after that, whatever four month period and, and after finishing a migration and some other, other projects, I really became really competent in, in sort of, you know, Marketo and and marketing automation in general. And, and that's when that's when I found out too, when I, when I kind of returned to the community after a lot of these large scale projects, I found that so many people were in the same position. You know, mm-hmm. They were in my position where they're, they had to do something and they realized, ho- you know, holy crap, this is kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's when I started to contribute. I started to write posts and, and um, you know, answer people's questions online. Um, and that, that started my sort of advocacy journey. Um, so that's how I thought about it. Yeah, that's what I love about the Mops community. Everyone's so willing to share what they've learned because we are all in it. Everyone's kind of in the same... In the trenches. Yeah, and we're all kind of <laughs> going, going through the same things. Everyone can relate to each other really well. Everyone's dealing with the same problems. Especially, I'd say, I mean, even even still now, but like especially back, you know, earlier on when most people kind of were moving from the marketer to the marketing ops, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. like anyone started out in marketing ops. So like you said, 
you're learning as you're doing so much so you're having to go find someone else who's already done that before but then you, know, you might have done something that they haven't done so then you can swap ideas and help each other out mm-hmm. um and i still think that's going on you know so much still today although there's probably a bit more specialized people getting into marketing ops today like starting out of college like going straight into marketing ops um but yeah it's a it's always been something that's attracted me to to this world um so so now now you're at amazon right a huge huge company managing a lot of people and i think we'd love to dive into what are some of the differences you know you've had you've worked at smaller companies now you're at a big company amazon what are some of the big differences that you you've noticed through working in marketing operations or dealing with um, marketing automation platforms and people using them across those two different you know organization sizes yeah so one thing that I think I had to learn the hard way is how much project management and program management skills really come into hand, handy in an enterprise organization. And it is a little bit different. So, you know, coming from, I had, I had my own, at my last company, I had my own small team where I managed both marketing and marketing operations, very hybrid, you know, I think that's common. Mm-hmm. Um, you essentially could move really quickly and, and work on your own to-do list, I think, especially when mm-hmm. it came, came to, let's say, Marketo and Salesforce um, data issues or routing or something like that. Or if you're managing, if you're trying to, inter- if you're trying to integrate another MarTech platform, probably just you maybe, or you and, yeah. a, you and, and your coworker. Um, so at smaller organizations, it's, more about executing your to-do list and prioritization. The larger, the bigger and bigger your com- the company you work at gets, it becomes more and more about people and milestones and almost motivating people to get to the finish line. Um, and so project management skills where you're wor- working with cross-functional people is extremely important. And then at Amazon, it's program management which is a collection of, pro- of projects in the service of some you know, initiative. And that has been, you know, when I first started to try to get things done, I started to wonder why I was getting, why I kept getting blocked. Why were the things that I was trying to implement that I knew had to be done, why I couldn't do it. And it was because I wasn't good at communicating what the goal was and then keeping everyone on track and then mm-hmm. and then also motivate or working with key stakeholders to get the the project done and that is a really big thing that i found and you know just recently i read this book called the unofficial project management guide for the unofficial project manager um something like that and and it, it basically distilled all the pmp um, um best practices and I just read it cover to cover and I felt so much like, like it opened my eyes as to how to work could be done better um, mm-hmm. and how you could work with people better, even if you don't all get along and even if you don't all have the same goals, which is so often the case. Mm-hmm. So that's a big thing, I think. So can you give us an idea of the scale that you're dealing with um, in terms of like database size, the amount of people with their hands in Marketo, the amount of you know, teams that you're di- working with in sales ops, and just the amount of people that you're having to 
you know, coordinate and work with the with these bigger projects and get approval to get things done? Yeah, sure. So I can't share the exact specifics, but to give you an idea, okay. we have one of the largest Marketo instances in the world um, and one of the most sophisticated ones. And we have over 700 active users that log into Marketo all across the globe. Wow. And um, it, it kind of goes beyond that with all the different teams. You know, we have a different team that manages Salesforce and a different team that manages the website. Um, so these are specifically, there's a lot many more marketers at AWS than that, but those are specifically people building campaigns in Marketo. The way that we manage this large decentralized organization, our primary me mechanism is training and internal certification. So we actually have about four different levels of internal certification. So we have like a read-only, a basic builder access where you can build programs, an advanced builder user that can build things like landing pages and can create their own programs. And then the highest level we call email bar raiser um, or EBR for short. And that is going to be the cream of the crop email and marketing automation users. And actually only 10% of the users get to that level. And it's very rigorous. Um, mm -hmm. It takes about maybe two to three months um, at minimum. And you need to be a Marketo certified expert to reach that level. But we also have our own sort of exams and knowledge tests that they have to do um, in, in between. So, so how we do this is as you learn more, and as you prove yourself through building campaigns, through passing these exams and taking training, you get more and more access to the system. And that's how we institute governance with so many people. Okay. Yeah. So then, so the, the EBR, I think you said it was mm -hmm. the, is that, so that is, is that beyond, you know, market certified expert level? And have you kind of modeled your testing on the, the cert market certified expert? Or have you just gone, have you just completely rewritten the rule, but there just for, you know, your specific, instance. you know, builds and instance mm -hmm. that you have at AWS? Yeah. So it's about 50-50. That's a good question. It's about 50-50, I would say, on Marketo knowledge and then AWS specific best practices. It is more difficult to become an EBR than it is to become a Marketo certified expert, only because we require hands-on um, exercises, demonstrations, mm. shadowing of actual campaign builders, um, and a live, the final exam to become an EBR is actually a live over the shoulder evaluation of building in a QA. So you have someone, often it's me, <laughs> who's, who's judging to see if this person is proficient enough to be at that elite level. And mm -hmm. as you know, with the Marketo certified exam, um, it's, a, it's sort of study and then pass it. And right. you probably take it again if you don't pass the first time. But, but our, our, our process is much more rigorous. And I think it has to be just because, you know, as I mentioned before, customer experience is paramount um, mm -hmm. for Amazon. And um, we wouldn't want, we, we, want, we don't want to risk that by 
pushing someone out in, into, you know, the water before they're ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like with, you know, such a, a large instance and for a brand name like Amazon, you know, you really can't make very many mistakes. It's mm -hmm. just, there's legal implications. If you're emailing people that shouldn't mm -hmm. receive an email, um, there's, you know, it, there's so much of like a spotlight into what your company is doing that people could pick up on and you really need to be held to kind of a different standard maybe than some other companies who are smaller and um, maybe can afford those mistakes for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that, you know, we get complaints about it sometimes too. You know, people say, well, why is it so hard to send an email? You know, why can't, why is it so hard? Why, why does it take so long to do what I was hired to do? And mm -hmm. that's when it kind of goes back to, you know, we have something called the leadership principles, which everyone almost memorizes. And it's sort of like our Bible, um, the Amazon leadership principles and, you know, customer obsession is, is the first one. Um, so everyone knows that that, and then also each team and each department comes up with their own tenets and, um, you know, for ours, for the email channel specifically, we have our own set of tenets. And again, we always point to that, um, when these kind of conflicts come up. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's a really important thing to do. Um, another thing is, is QA. Cause I know, I know you, you mentioned that. So mm -hmm. we do a combination of automated and human QA. Um, so we have the luxury of having, um, you know, developers and engineers dedicated to marketing. So our Marketo ends up being really customized, um, which is cool. It also makes it kind of more complex, the, the added layers. Um, so there are, there are the, some things that we can do on an automated way. Um, and then, you know, our, it's only the EBRs that tout 10% that can give the final approval before an email is deployed. So their training is the sort of QA, right? So, that when, when, so we trust them when they review a campaign or when they're building a campaign that they are adhering to our highest standards and are being that ambassador for the email channel. Um, you know, so, and, and one, one other thing I, for those that don't have some of these, you know, resources to develop their own sort of QA, there are actual tools out there that you can leverage. Um, you know, so some email building uh, platforms have built in QA. Um, my, my, um, a couple of my friends, um, MH Lines and Ariel Sasso, I don't know if you know them, mm -hmm. but they have their yep. own company and they, it's called Automaton. And yep. they yeah. also automatically check your system and like far beyond campaign building. So for people that don't have those in-house resources, there are other resources that you can use to automate your QA. Totally. So, so if you were to give advice or if you were to one day move on from Amazon and go to a, a smaller company that wants to really take a serious approach to um, everything that you just talked about with the training levels and things like that, but maybe doesn't have the resources like Amazon to institute that process to that high level. Is there a way that you would adapt, you know, what you've got at Amazon to a more startup environment where you can still get a lot of the benefit, but then you can kind of like, yes, but maybe 
um, make it a bit easier to deploy at a company with less resources? Yeah. Um, so the way that I like to think about marketing automation and marketing operations is to um, start with the end in mind. And I like to actually build out reports of different things. So business and revenue reports, but also reports of, you know, the productivity of our own team and what that looks like at the end, and then work backwards um, through things like priority setting and creating your roadmap of projects that you'll work on throughout the year and see if it aligns to what that end looks like. Because, mm -hmm. because I think that one challenge for a lot of people is they do it kind of backwards, right? Mm -hmm. They think, they think like, well, what do we want to do this year? This is, this is my roadmap of priorities. And this is what month it'll fit, it'll slot into. Um, and then at the end of the year, they look back and it may not have been what they really wanted. So that's what I, that's the kind of advice that I try to give to folks is to almost look at the end of the year. Now is a great time and think like, okay, at the end of the next year, what are the key things that I've done and the key things that I've built that have really moved the needle? Um, and I try to balance, um, I try to balance priorities in two ways. I think half of marketing operations priorities needs to be on revenue supporting activities. And then half needs to be on something I call fortification. And that means that you're increasing the stability, efficiency, and sort of sustainability of your processes and programs for the long run. And mm -hmm. those, those are really important. And they, they, they encompass things like compliance and system performance and data hygiene, all of those important things that marketing op that people don't really know that marketing operations does. At the same time, you have to try to have as much of, as many of your priorities as you can be revenue supporting because that mm -hmm. will center what you're doing and you won't go down that rabbit hole of continually improving systems that may not need it. Um, so that's, mm -hmm. that's how I kind of think about that. Yeah. So yeah, I'd love to dive a little bit more into the priority side of things. So, you know, now you're coming up to the end of the year. So when you're looking forward, um, you, you mentioned you have the, these kind of two big groups of priority, which is like revenue and fortification. And I'm sure you've got projects in your mind that you know that need to be achieved in 2021. You've got people on your team and other teams talking about projects that they know that need to be achieved in 2021. How do you reconcile everything on the to-do list on the, and then actually prioritize the things that you need to work on first and then build them into your roadmap? Can you just go, go through how you would work through that? Yeah, that's a great question. A really simple way that, a really simple question that I try to ask about each project is also, what are the consequences if we don't do this? Mm -hmm. So I really like that question um, because then you start to think, well, um, it, it also helps you sort of find out for projects what could be substituted and what could be, you know, you, you can get maybe 80 or 90% of the value if you do it in a different way or with something else mm -hmm. or even manually. Um, and, and, and it may not take a lot of time. So that's, that's one of the key questions that I like to do. 
Um, the other one is, you know, and I know that that you both post about the prioritization often, um, and and you might have posted about this this style, but I use the impact effort matrix, and 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 I, I find that that really works well, where you're listing all of your priorities by and ranking them by how much impact they will have the organization and how much effort it's going to take you. And what happens is you can really accomplish a lot by focusing on things that are high impact and low effort. And then your the high effort, high impact becomes your long-term roadmap. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, it helps you to start. And this is something that I even do personally is I practice deprioritization, meaning actively looking for things that I do on a normal, on an everyday basis or that people that I work with that doesn't add to what the overall goals are and what our mm -hmm. overall mission is and actively look at ways to cut them out or save them for like Friday afternoon. You know what <laughs> I mean? Yeah. Like totally. when you're like already done, you're already burnt out and tired and you know, you're saving your most creative, your most, your, your sharpest and alert times to work on things that are the most important. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, my team does that. I do it personally and I, I feel like it makes a really big difference. Yeah. I think I saw a post from you that you, you save your morning time for the, the bigger, more creative projects. Is that right? You try and block that time out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I forget if this is a book or where I learned this, but the way that I do, and this is kind of personal productivity, the way that I, I make my to-do list is I have a blank sheet of paper and I say, if I could only do one thing today, what would it be? And like, if I did that one thing and then just took the rest of the day off, what would mm -hmm. it be? And that, that becomes the one thing. And then I ask the question, okay, if I could only do two things, <laughs> what could it be? And, um, you know, a lot of times that's how you come up with your top three. And mm -hmm. that's what your morning should be focused on. And, and it, it also is a lot less stressful because you already know you're working on the most important thing, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's when we get become scattered totally. and spread that the stress starts and I'm, I'm a stresser, you know, I'm a worrier. So <laughs> it really helps me. <laughs> yeah. That in. <laughs> yeah. I think we talked about that a lot. And I, I think this is a key thing for, I think people, especially during um, the COVID uh, and pandemic and, and this working from home mentality, if you're not used to working from home, you now maybe are like extending your day, maybe like working on things you maybe shouldn't be. And then by the end of the day or end of the week, you're like, oh, I'm so stressed or I'm so tired. But really, you're just kind of filling some of your day with things that really don't have that high impact, like you talked about. And, and added on to that is I think right now when maybe things seem uncertain or latching on to also areas where we feel comfortable and, um, you know, want to prove like, oh, I can do this, 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 and this. And it's like, well, none of those little things that maybe don't have high impact or the company doesn't care about really matter even for your job stability. Like that, you know, the person that works the hardest, we actually talked about this on the last podcast, but the person that works the hardest isn't always the person that's going to get rewarded or get promoted. It's really the person that is working hard, but is really providing value. And so 
when you're prioritizing, like you said, you're really going to position yourself where you're providing value. And that's going to help you just not only for your own benefit, because you're working on things that are really maybe even challenging you, but you're also showing to the business how valuable you are. And that's going to just, that's better job security in itself. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So I think that's really great advice. Yeah. And, and, you know, another way that I think about it is, um, and this is kind of more personal, but you want to think about if you're going into an interview or a promotion review, a performance review, you want to look back over the last three months and ask if you're happy with what you've done, if you're mm-hmm. satisfied and you feel good about what you've delivered personally. And if the answer is no, um, and, and like you're going through this pretend process of interviewing or, or going through a promotion, then you need to make some major changes, right? Because then the next three months, at, at that point, you want to look back and say like, oh, wow, look at all the stuff that I've done, you know, and you can share yeah. that with other people. Um, and for me, that's like the, some of the best interview advice is to do really great work at your job. And mm-hmm. that's a good way to see if you're, if you're doing that. That's really, really good advice. Yeah, I love that. Being able to, even if you don't have an interview performance you coming up, like trying to think about if I did have one, what would I say, right? And like, we, we deal with this a lot. Um, we'll start working with with companies and I'll ask the 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 MOPS team and the MOPS person, like, what, what have you worked on last quarter? And they don't really know, like, because they've just been kind of fighting fires everywhere and they've forgotten some of the things they've done and they end up not actually remembering like what they did. Like, it's just, and to the point, and to your point, that's, you know, that's even worse than knowing what you did, but then still not being happy with it, right? Because you you're not even to, uh, able to articulate what you've done yeah. because you've just been so scattered across so many things and spread so thin. Then there's no way that you can tie what you've done to revenue, increase productivity, and some of these big, um, you know, wins for the MOPS team. Um, so one of the things I'd love to dig into with you, though, is that because it sounds like you've got the you know, really good process, you've got a prioritization framework, you really do tie your work to the big picture. You mentioned, you know, customer obsession, revenue. How, how then do you say no to the stuff that doesn't align to that? Because I think we've talked about this a lot on this podcast and talked about it with Jason on the last one. Marketing arts people are people pleasers. We want to yeah. say yes to everything. It's, it's very difficult to say no because we have so many requests coming in. Do you have... Um, any advice or any tips on, or any personal experience that you can share around how you can say no to make sure you're keeping your team focused on what matters? Yeah, that's a great question. And I first want to acknowledge that all of this is really hard. So yeah. you know, when I <laughs> yeah. when I say it simply, like, are you happy with what you've done? It it's it kind of comes across like I'm always that way or something like that. It's not. It's very very difficult, especially when you're in high pressure jobs. And for marketing operations, you know, we have dozens of stakeholders and everyone, you know, we're supporting everybody. So it's one of the toughest, it can be one of the toughest jobs and it could get you. So Mm -hmm. I do want to acknowledge that it is difficult for those. Yeah, we should have a disclaimer constantly (laughs) on this podcast. Everything we're saying, we're making it maybe sound simple, simple, (laughs) but we know and we understand it's very, very hard. Yeah, that's a good point to, to bring up. Yeah, yeah. And um, I like that question of when do you say no? And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually writing a, a post about, you know, some of the most important reasons to do that. And these are some of the things that I've kind of come up with. 
One is um, answering the question, is this problem also going to be a problem tomorrow? Mm -hmm. So it, is, is this going to be something that kind of comes up frequently or is it like a one-time thing? That's an important question to ask mm -hmm. um, because if you go down the slippery slope of fixing all the one-off one ad hoc problems, um, that could be a recipe for disaster, especially when you support a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, the next one is, does this, and this, this, is, this is for like prioritization and saying no two things that actually are a problem is how does this impact the end customer? You know, is this going to cause a negative, a, a positive or negative or um, experience? And for any of them that cause a negative experience where, you know, in the case of like an operational email not being able to go out, you know, where a customer has requested something that they need to receive, that is paramount, you know, because it's the customer first. So those naturally help you to come up with uh, um, a priority framework, um, having mm -hmm. it be customer first. And then you can start to go down sort of the checklist of, okay, is it, is it going to be um, you know, business-oriented, mm -hmm. revenue, related to revenue, or is this simply a productivity request? You know? And productivity is good, but it also has to be, you know, ranked against the others, right? Mm -hmm. Where if it's going to save you, the marketer, an extra 20 minutes because you don't have to import something or you don't have to fix a spreadsheet, you have to compare that with revenue generating activities and then customer facing activities, which are more important, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how I kind of think about it. Have you found that the more you reinforce that message, the easier it becomes with the team? So the more you're reminding them we need to be obsessed with the customer, we need to deal with the customer experience first and then these other business outcomes and then ranking. Has, have you, has that ever been a challenge? Has, has, it been, has it got easier? Have you had, you know, how have you dealt with some people that might not be able to, who still wanna keep forcing the, their opinions or forcing projects? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, and, and, I, and I do think another sort of reality check, this happens weekly. Yes. <laughs> so, and it's not something I would say that at Amazon, people are more focused around the customer, so they get it faster. Mm -hmm. um, but that so the, com the company culture kind of supports company what you're culture saying. supports yeah. it, right? Yeah. So that is a big help. However, I think when you are working with a lot of smart, motivated, driven people, they have their own agenda, and that is what you have to come across like every single week of we have a new idea this is a new tool you know this is a new marketing strategy that we want to implement and we want to do it first and we want to we want to you know launch fast before someone else does mm. and that happens every single week and yeah and then for us you know i, I think that that it, then it's then it starts to go through that that the, that question framework of you know what what's more important um so so that helps but it's a struggle each time so i won't sort of make it more simple than it is. It's, it's not, it's hard every time. Yeah. I think, um, this also reminds me of, and I've, I've, I think I've experienced this before too, even when I worked in house, but when you, the more people you start to work with too, not only are you getting requests from them that you have to like prioritize or say no, 
But when you're trying to get something done, you're often dealing with potential roadblocks from different people, different opinions. Um, how, what's kind of your advice for that? Like I always give the class example, like I, in the past, like I spent like six months just telling, uh, just trying to get contact status in place. Like, and I couldn't believe it took that long, but I kept having to meet certain people, a sales development leader, or, you know, SDR leader, you know, business operations and just getting people in, it was before like people even realized like, oh, let's manage contacts. Like before ABM strategies were put in place, but I was just evangelizing at that point. But at some point it's like, maybe I'm involving maybe too many people into this or I'm, I'm doing the right thing, but what, what's what causing those blocks? So do you, do you have any advice for that? Cause you're probably, um, you know, there's maybe potentially a lot of red tape or, in the yeah. teams you're working with and how, how do you actually get things like through the finish line? Cause what you mentioned before, that's one of your main goals is just like, how do we get things to the finish line? So, yeah. So I have like same story with your contact status. I led a Marketo cleanup and it took a few months. And, you know, as you know, for, for people that know Marketo, it's a simple flow step, you know, it's delete lead. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so how does something like that take so long? Um, and it's because, you know, Mar Marketo is connected, interconnected with so many different reports and different business systems that changes in the database um, are reflected elsewhere. So mm -hmm. how, um, I, I think that one of the ways that I was able to get it done, because I truly believe it could have taken half a year to a year to, to, to finish what I, I did, um, is to, when you're creating your communication, with your milestones and the reasoning and the sort of steps that are taking place and what people need to be aware of, aware about, you need to put yourself in the shoes of a stakeholder and start to come up with your own objections to the project and say, you know, if I'm a, a data science person, well, why don't I want this to happen? And mm -hmm. then I will literally create a frequently asked questions at the bottom of all my communication that has those listed out, like. How will this impact my reports? Well, it's going to imp impact it like this. Can we save leads if we want to? No, we, like we are, we are having a, a, we are storing these somewhere else where you can access to them maybe later, but you can't store them in Marketo because you know uh, it's a system performance issue and it's creating problems. So, so going through that, you know, I, I guess it's that empathy thing where mm -hmm. you are mm -hmm. pretending you're the other person, arguing against your own thing. And then writing answers to those objections, that will really help you um, streamline it um, and, and push through ahead. And, and, and it's, it's going to, because they're going to bring up those questions anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so they no. might as well see it. Like, and it, it, it also, it also, if you go through that process, people really respect you for doing that because totally. they, they, it shows that it's well thought out and that you know what you're doing and that this is important mm -hmm. um, rather than just something that we're doing on a whim. Totally. Yeah, one one of the, so I know we've got to wrap up in a minute, but one kind of the theme that I'm getting from this is just how thoughtful you are in everything that you do. Yeah, and I think it seems like uh, is that something that you you were born with, or like did you develop that over your career? Because you it seems like every every blocker, mm -hmm. every you know the prioritization, you're very considered, and you think about your role, how you're going to get things done how you can really thrive um and i and i do i do see a lot of marketing operations people do that but it, i think it's something that where 
the market in marketing ops we're so busy that you don't have time to like break above that to then think about how can i do all this stuff better so i can maybe be less busy work on the right mm -hmm. things um is that just is that just kind of like how you how you've always been like so thoughtful around kind of everything that you're doing or did you have to learn that behavior during your marketing operations career yeah i think i think it's it's I'm really into professional development, so I read a lot, um, mm -hmm. listen to podcasts, for example. Um, and what I found is that it's difficult to really create these specific checklists to become successful at something. It's actually the questions that you ask yourself that really help more than someone giving you, okay, Here's how you're going to succeed in marketing operations. It's these seven steps, and it and it and it's never like that. Um, what 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 it what does happen is what what does help more often is when you come across a problem to ask yourself like a list of questions, and that helps you even more to find that way. And I think that that kind of stems from my sort of like I really like professional development, and a lot of it's very question based. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that that that's that's that. I will say though that there. It's definitely not glamorous. You know, I just yesterday I was in this hour long meeting about technical debt. And, you know, unfortunately, we're going to have to build something that's going to cause problems in the future. And we know it's going <laughs> to cause problems. So it's like it's not there's there's not like this this perfect state that you're going to get to. Um, so if you know, for your listeners, if you're still toiling with all the, the struggle of, of working with stakeholders, you know, so am I. So are all of us. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, think, everyone, everyone is. And one yeah. of the things that we say is if, if you are struggling with that stuff, it's still better to try and improve things, right? Don't yeah. give up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, lo I love this conversation, the honest conversation, because it's, I think it's probably a big reason why maybe people also just react so well to your content that you're posting. And and we get this often um, in response to our podcast and some of these like, you know, oh, I feel so seen or, you know, I, you know what I'm going through. Right. And, and that's the thing we're not, it's so hard when people are telling you, you know, you need to be this echelon, but like, it's good to aspire and it's good to always push yourself forward. And that's what we're trying to say, but remember, there's always going to be bumps in the road. Not everything's perfect, but you know, the, and that's the real, you know, that's real. And I think, you know, knowing that, and I think for people in marketing ops, they might even think, oh, well, if I move to a new job, things will change. Or if I, you know, do something else, things might change. And it's like, well, not really. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, so one final question, I know we're a little bit over, but I did want to kind of end with just one, you know, final piece of advice for you or from you um, for our listeners and mainly through the, through the lens of, you know, what's one thing, you know, that you see marketing ops leaders or practitioners doing that you, you know, really think needs to change or that you don't agree with? Hmm. That's really tough. I would say, and you know, I love this. It's, it's the part that I love and also I'm a little bit wary about in the community, in the Slack groups and on LinkedIn is that real, that tendency to get really, really technical and really kind of, you know, I saw, I saw this, this post one time 
from this guy and he said, yeah, the first thing I do at a marketing operation job is check all the API connections, blah, 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 blah. And I just, I, I really worry that people focus on just the technology and not the overall business goals. Yeah. And if, if marketing ops can think of themselves as business people or business professionals, advocates for the business with a specialty or like almost like, you know, minor degree in marketing operations, yeah. that's going to benefit everyone and also benefit you as a professional um, mm -hmm. because it's, it's about business and it's about more about people rather than the tech. Um, you know, the tech like helps it along. But don't yeah. couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. That's, that's that's a, a perfect perfect way to mic to drop. Up. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that's yeah amazing. I I feel like I could keep talking for forever on that one. Um, especially you know tech changes, but the business you know is always going to be there. People like you said, people, and so if you can master those that's just amazing for your career so um but yeah thank you so much daryl for joining us um this has been an amazing um session maybe we do a follow-up one as well um and excited for you to be on especially since you are a listener as well so for everyone um, listening um you'd love this share it on linkedin um and if you have any questions for daryl definitely post those um follow him um, on LinkedIn and on Twitter. We'll make sure we share that information in the blurb where you can follow him. And yeah, thank you so much. And we'll see everyone on the next episode of Forward Thinking. This is Charlie. So if you liked what you heard, hit like on the platform where you watch this. Also, leave a review. Honestly, we would really, really appreciate it. You can also subscribe where you listen to your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even YouTube. And make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, which is packed full of exclusive content, updates for events or courses that we might be doing, all designed to elevate your marketing operations and B2B strategy. See you next time on Forward and Forward is Off.